excited. We're going to be continuing our book, our series in the book of Judges. But this morning we're going to read out of Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. It says this, it says, After Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord through the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years old. They buried him in the land that had been allocated at Timnath, Sarah, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gath. After the generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. You may be seated this morning. Well, good morning. It is always a pleasure to be here. My name is Travis. If I don't know you, I'm one of the pastors here. It is my privilege. I love getting to be up here and share God's Word with you this morning. Happy, by the way, Thursday is the first day of fall, if you can believe that. I'm excited about that. And one of the things I realized, I don't know if you feel this, but why is September so busy? Or at least it feels that way sometimes. It just, I guess, life kind of restarts again at the start of the school year, and so If you're like me, you're probably here this morning and you're feeling a lot, there's a lot going on, and so I hope that even for just this hour that we can pause, have some encouragement, and spend some time with God and His Word, and and I think you're going to enjoy what we're going to talk about today, because as I said, we're we're in this book called the Book of Judges, not the most popular book in the entire Bible, and yet I think what you'll find is it's got a lot of amazing truth for us to explore. It's kind of a fascinating book when you read it, because there's all these amazing characters, there's these wild stories that happen, there's lots of twists and turns, and then of course as the graphic even here suggests, the, the book of Judges is kind of like a roller coaster, it's this up and down kind of thing on the, on the exact same path, it's almost like deja vu a lot throughout the entire book, in which we'll talk a lot about as we continue that, but today here's what I want to do, today I want us, I want us to see how and why our individual faith has the power to impact the people in our life. That's the first part. And here's the second part, that our collective faith has the ability and the power to transform our world. So we're going to see today, how is it that our individual, my faith, your faith, individually, how that has the power and the ability to impact people in your life, and then hopefully we'll see, in addition to that, how our collective faith, how we as a body of Christ, even here just at, at New City, have the ability to impact our entire world. And so, we begin here in Judges chapter 2. You'll recall if you were with us last week that Judges is a book that was most likely written by the prophet Samuel. Okay, Samuel is, is going to come about 325 years later after this point that we just read. But Samuel's most likely the author to which we're going to be reading about. And he's writing about this particular moment in Israel's history. And is, as I kind of already alluded to, it's kind of a rather unique one. And this is that point where the Israelites have entered into the promised land, right? If you, if you go back even further in the story, this, this began all the way back with Moses, right? He's leading the people out of Egypt. They wander through the desert. They come into the promised land. Moses dies. Joshua takes over. He leads them through. And as we just read, we're now at this new era. A new era has begun in which Joshua has passed away, but God's instructions remain clear. 
despite who may or may not be in charge, God's God's intentions, His His commandments are still very clear. He He tells the Israelites things that they should do, and just as important, He tells them things that they should not do. So, one of which included driving out the inhabitants of the land and making sure that they did not pursue other gods. And this is important because the Canaanites, the other people in this land that they're now in, they're not exactly patron saints. Okay, and, and I can't stress this enough. We don't have a lot of time to get into it this morning. But the, but the people in this land are not exactly the nicest, well-rounded people you'll ever meet in life. And so it's, it's, you start to understand why God says, you know, you, need, you cannot mix with that. And, and you need to be sure that you do not pursue other gods. And we're going to see why they fail to do that. But you'll see as we begin here, they almost instantly fail at this. They almost instantly fail at following God, and they enter into this nonstop cycle that we'll talk about in which they sin, they fall away from God, and yet God, because of how much He loves us, He responds with mercy. And one of the ways He does that is He provides new spiritual leaders, a.k.a. the judges. We'll talk more about that. So, this was because... As we said, Joshua, their former leader, has passed away. If you have a copy of the Scripture, I invite you to turn to Joshua chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 6. If you don't have a copy of Scripture on your phone or whatever, you can also go to the New City app. New City app, you'll see the text loaded there as well. But we're going to begin this morning looking just again at Judges chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. What we just read here, it says, After after Joshua sent the people the way, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the, the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him. Verse 8, Joshua, the servant of the Lord, died at 110, and they buried him in the land that had been allocated, right? If you recall, maybe some of you are more familiar with the Scriptures. Maybe you've read the book of Joshua. Joshua is an incredible man. He is a man of deep faith, deep conviction. He was an incredible military leader. He was the successor to Moses. We'll talk more about Joshua later, but the people trusted Joshua. He had earned their respect. His his story is really amazing in the life that he lived. But the book of Judges really begins after Joshua. That's why we call it this new era. And as we're going to see here, things really don't seem to go well as soon as he passes away. Now, look at with me in verse 10. Look here. It says this. After that generation, after that generation died, that is Joshua's generation, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things that He had done. Bob Dylan said it well. There's times they are occasions. It's just as true thousands of years ago as it was in the 1960s as it is today. The times they are changing. And as we see here with amazing quickness, it's hardly taken any time for that to happen. In just one generation, in a generation, typically a generation is defined anywhere from 20 years to 30 years. Different different definitions in there, but, but essentially somewhere in that time frame. In just 20 to 30 years, Samuel writes to us, that this single generation had now completely turned its back on the things that it had known before, right? Isn't that fascinating how that happens, right? 
that in just one generation, how quickly the world can change, right? I've been to Germany a few times, and it amazes me every time I go to Germany, I'm thinking, wow, look at how this country has changed from the 1940s. Look how much in our world has changed. And a lot of times it's good. In that case, it's a really good example. But yet a lot of times as we see as generations develop, even in the case of the Israelites, that it's not always for the good. Because think about this. We read here that in just one generation, the, the, the nation of Israel has turned its back on God. So in just less than 30 years, you're talking about a nation that had been led out of slavery in Egypt. A nation that witnessed God do miraculous feats of crossing the Red Sea together. A nation that saw the desert daily provide food and water. A nation that watched God before their very eyes. A cloud during the day and a fire at night. A nation that came to the promised land. A nation that walked into Jericho. A city completely fortified by walls. They watched it crumble just by walking around it. A nation that defeated some of the most evil, well-equipped nations in the world. A nation that saw God constantly care for them, constantly provide for them, constantly lead for them. And in just one generation, they forsake all of that. Now, it's possible, and very, very likely, that one of the reasons why the people so quickly turn their back is because the, the previous generation failed to equip them. We, we talked a little bit about this last week. Rodney mentioned that in Deuteronomy 6, one of the things that God commands to people that we hold even value here as a church is that we should invest in the next generation. We should teach them the ways of the Lord. We should instruct them. And it's possible that, that one of the reasons why this, this generation is not pursuing the Lord is, is that they weren't equipped by their ancestors. Their parents didn't instill it. That's possible, but I'm going to argue that it's actually much more than that, and you're going to see this here. I think there's a more intentionality of the people turning away, and look exactly at how they did this. In verse 11, if you'll follow along with me here, look at what they do. It says, The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight, and they served the images of Baal. They abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of brought them out of Egypt. They went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. Did you catch this? There's two things that this generation does specifically. Right. The first is we read that they abandoned him. We'll talk about this here in just a second. So the first thing is they abandoned it, and then the second is that they pursue the other gods of the people in the land. So look at this again with me. Verse 12, it says that they abandon the Lord. Now, here's what's interesting. In the original language, that word, abandon, what, it, it literally meant broke the bond. Okay? So it, it's almost this image of like, Imagine being tied together with something, being bound together with rope or chain or something. And, and the word there is that they banned and they broke that. So here's why I think it's important to understand this, because this is some, this, that's an, an active voice, right? That, that's an intentionality of them intentionally breaking the bonds that, that had set them up before that, right? It's the same word, by the way, used in Genesis 2. Some of you are talking, if you've ever been to a Christian wedding, you've heard this every single time, right? When, when God is speaking to Adam, 
right? And we see the very first marriage ceremony, right? And he, he presents Adam and Eve. And you remember what he tells Adam? He says, for this reason, a man should leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife. That word, leave, is the exact same word here, right? God says, husbands, you are to break the bond of your family so that you can go and create a new bond. And that's it. That's a positive case, right, of this word abandoned. And yet here, we see it here that the Israelites take the bond, the, the, the things that had bound them together to the love of God and all that they've done, and they intentionally go break it apart. And then notice the second thing they do. The first thing is they abandon God, and the second is they pursue the other gods. Look again in verse 12 with me here. It says they went after other gods, worshiping the gods of the people around them, and they angered their Lord. They get rid of one thing, and they replace it with the next, right? Verse 13 says that they served Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. Now, it's interesting, once again, we, we talked a little bit about this as well. There is a lot of parallelism between the book of Judges and the book of Genesis, as I've already kind of alluded to. God told Adam, leave your father and mother, break the bond, and, and, and be joined to your wife. And we see this here. The nation of Israel breaks the bond that it has with God, and then look what it does is it cleaves to another. It's the complete opposite of what God is desiring for people. So when we read that a generation had fully turned their back on God, we start to see just how far they went, right? This is just full-on betrayal, right? It's not just that they abandon God, they take it one step further, and they replace Him with something else. And of course, this angers God. Look with me in verse 14. It says, This made the Lord burn with anger against Israel, so He handed them over to the raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to the enemies all around them, and they were no longer able to resist them. Of course, because of anger, attention when we talk enough about God's anger. Why would we want to? Who wants to talk about that, right? Can't we just talk about how God loves us? Isn't that easier? And yet, you guys see something pretty amazing here, right? Two reasons why God is angry. Well, the first is simple. We just talked about it, right? The, the reason why God is angry is because the, the people just don't seem to care at all about all the things that he had done for them. As we talked about it, Take the history that God has brought them through, all the miracles He's done before their eyes, all the ways that He's provided them, and they say, meh, meh, I'm good. It's not for me, right? So on one hand, right, He, he, he delivers them out of them. He even writes them a new covenant, right? When He's with Moses, He gives Moses what's called the Mosaic Covenant in which He promises people. He says, if you do these things, I will bless you immensely. God is setting the people up to prosper. He, he's got their back the entire time, and they say, eh, man, not for me. That's the first reason. But the second is because they traded him for something pure evil. Now, we may not be familiar with Baal, right, as we just read about here, right? But Baal was actually a pretty common god of the time. And to worship the god Baal, though, meant adhering to some of the most wicked and evil practices the world has ever seen. I, I won't get into too many details here on what all that involved. I invite you to go do your own research on this. 
But let me just give you a glimpse as to what worshiping Baal looked like. See, the Canaanites and the others believed that Baal was there. There was multiple Baals, but one of the things that, that the Canaanites in particular believed about the god Baal was that Baal was responsible both for fertility and for harvest. And so, in other words, they looked at, at the god Baal as the god of life, right? That he is responsible for the actual human life and then the harvest, the ability to sustain life. So the people spent, they, they went to great ends to try and appease the Baal gods, including things like forced prostitution, sexual immorality, and worst of all, infant and child sacrifice. Can you imagine that? misconception about who God is. And I think this is not just from non-Christians, but even I think us as, as Christians sometimes fall into this mistake sometimes is that, you know, that, that we, we look at God and we say, okay, well, God is this, 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 this God. He's all about rules. He's about making sure we do all the right things and that he can be even egotistical. All he wants is the praise and glory for himself. And he doesn't really care about anything else because he's so self-centered. When in reality, God calls us doubt that, that God is angry, right? There's, there's no doubt that he's angry because of, of how they've betrayed him. But, but I, what I want you to gain from today, what I want us to understand is that more, more than his anger, God is hurt and he's sad because he's looking at his children and he says, I have something better for you. Every time these people would gather around, right, um, one of the practices was that if you wanted to have more children, it was common that you sacrifice your firstborn child. I just imagine that these people, they're, they're at these services to, to honor Baal, and, and they're engaging in these horrible acts, and God is just sitting there pulling his hair out, and he says, I have something better for you. Why are you abandoning me? Since the good news is that that's the same God that we have today. He's no different. He looks at us the same way. God gets angry at sin and his heart breaks when we fall victim to it, right? Because God, we, Christ talked about this all the time, right? What did Jesus say he wanted for us? He said, I want the abundant life for you. I want you to know the, the, the power and the freedom to be set free from sin. I want you to experience all the goodness of who I am. That's who I designed you to be. God does not hate you. He hates sin. He loves you. And I think we often fall into this pit that, well, yeah, but to what length would he love me? How far could I go to which he would still love me, right? And I think that is a pit, that is a lie from the pit of hell that we need to bound up and throw back out. It's not true. And it's that love that leads to this response to the people, right? Continue on with him. Verse 16 here. It says, the Lord raised up judges to rescue the Israelites from their captors. Yet Israel did not listen, but prostituted themselves by worshiping other gods. How quickly they turned away from the path of their ancestors who 
walking obedience to the Lord. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge over Israel, He was with that judge and rescued the people from the enemies through the judge's lifetime. For the Lord took pity on His people who were burdened by oppression and judgment. I think those verses ultimately serve as the summary of what the book of Judges will be all about, right? This whole idea, this cycle that we're going to see, we actually have a graphic of this, of what, what the book of Judges actually looks like, right? And you kind of follow it here, but we begin at the top there, right, as we just read that the people rebel, and God is angry, that leads to their oppression, but they cry out, right? And they, they, that eventually does bring that back, and then we see salvation through Judge God is moved by His compassion and His pity, and He brings about peace by raising up another judge, but then look what happens then. As soon as the judge dies, we're back to the top again. I want you to capture again that verse 18. Hear this again, right? It says, the Lord raised up a judge. Uh, He was with the judge and rescued the people from their enemies throughout the judge's lifetime. It says, for the Lord took pity on his people. It's interesting, that word, by the way, it more accurately translates to groaning. And, and the, the expression that's often used there, it's this idea of a groaning that's panting. And, and, I, and I was like, that's a weird definition, right? What, what in the world does that mean? And I thought about it, right? Have you ever been so uh, moved and upset and sad by something that you, you groan and then you find yourself breathing hard? realize this, that's like, that's what's happening to God. It, it, when we fall victim to sin, it's like a punch in the gut to him, right? That it hits him, that it makes him groan, and then what does he have to do? He has to collect his breath. That is how deeply God is moved when we fall short of who he is. It's the heartbeat of who he is, and we see that all throughout Scripture. Whenever God is angered by sin, capture this, he is instantly moved by compassion. Whenever God is angered by sin, he is equally and even more so met with compassion. I hope we see this as we, as we, as we walk through this, right? We must never forget that purpose for God, that he, he desires that personal relationship. He wants us to be set free from that sin. And here's why all of that is important for us today as we think about this, this passage, because if I'm honest with you, as I read the book of Judges, I come to this realization that I'm really no better than them. If I'm really honest with you, and, and I look at that cycle, I look at how, you know, we, we go from point A to P and we work our way in a circle. If I'm being perfectly honest with you, I find that I'm really no different. That I too am just as capable as they are of following into that pattern where God has to constantly intervene in my life. I am just as guilty of making the same mistake over and over again. But here's the good news. That same God is with me. The only difference, and again, I would argue, that we have is that circle can now be closed up in the person of Jesus. That the one thing the judges did not have circle does wrap up in Jesus. It's fully complete in the person 
of Jesus, right? The cross is the pinnacle example of just how far God will go to intervene in our lives. I love what Paul said in Romans 5. Many of you know this, right? Paul said that God shows his great love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? You you also remember in, in the book of Romans that Paul makes the argument that all are guilty of sin, and what is the, the cost of sin? The cost of sin is death. And yet he, so we see this, this notion again that, yes, God is angered at, at sin, and yet what does he do? He's instantly met with compassion. We are all guilty of sin. We all deserve death. And yet, Christ intervened for us. It's the single greatest act of love the world has ever seen. So, as we begin to wrap up here, I want to leave us with three things to, to encourage us with as we reflect on these passages. These three things the Israelites failed to do, and it's my hope that you don't make that same mistake. First is this, may we all simply acknowledge the awesomeness of the Redeemer. May we take the time to really even just think about what that means, that we should acknowledge it. Second, is remember. Remember all the things that God has done for us. I, I would argue this is one of the most important and prevalent things we see all throughout Scripture is, is this urge, this discipline to commit to remembering. One of my favorite uh, sections of Scripture, Psalm 103, it begins, it says, praise the Lord, praise all, all His goodness, all the things, and it says, and may we never forget the good things He does for us. Can I urge you, please don't Deprecation. Don't fall down that hole. If you want to get out of it, spend some time remembering and reflecting on who God is to you. Write it out. Say it out loud. Tell somebody else. Post it on Instagram. I don't care. Find a way to remember all the things that God has done for you. And finally, pursue Jesus. Place your faith in Him and entrust Him with every single piece of your life. today, I was in Ethiopia, and myself and Ron Dasher, who is one of our pastors here, we had the, it was an amazing experience, we, we partnered with, an, or went with an organization that we're looking to partner with called the Timothy Initiative, and the Timothy Initiative is planning churches in the most unreached areas of the world, it's pretty fascinating, they have this, this a vision called a T, which is a church in every village everywhere, and I want to show you this picture here real quick, because um, I, I did my best to, to capture a photo here, but here was something amazing about this, by the way. This is in the, the mountains of Ethiopia in, in a true village. I mean, mud huts and all. And it was pretty cool, by the way. They built this tent for us that morning because the Americans were coming and they wanted to take care of us. How sweet is that, right? But I, but I want to share a story here. You'll see all these people lined up. And as we talk about person can make such a big difference in another person's life and how collectively it can change the world. Here's the story. We'll begin with the guy on the far right with the watch and the black shirt. This guy is 